the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Don't have time to go on SoCal Live today? Leave Scott a voicemail at 213-537-3812. That's 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host and coffee achiever. It's good to be with you. Yeah, I haven't mentioned it for a while, but yes, I usually have my coffee with me, especially in the afternoon. It's an afternoon tradition. Coffee, the brew of the believer the cup of the confessing, the juice of the joyful. I can go on and on. I hope that you are enjoying whatever you're doing right now. A lot of you are still at work. You're getting in the car on the way home. Let me ask you this question. When you were in school, did you ever have to rewrite a fairy tale like as a a assignment in an English class or maybe you were in a sociology class or a political science class? I did. I was in college. I had to rewrite a fairy tale. And the instruction was to rewrite a famous fairy tale with a political or social message. And that's a complex assignment, really. It requires a lot of thought and development and an understanding of whatever the issues are of the day. And uh, I had to do that, and I still have it. I still have the one I wrote in college. I kept it. And uh, I'm going to share part of it with you for a reason here in just a minute, because I was reading an article from uh, The Atlantic today where people are also being assigned to rewrite a fairy tale, exactly the same assignment, basically, with a few more clues. And I'll tell you why in in just a minute. Do you ever read the old fairy tales? Not the Disney versions, but the actual grim fairy tales. Uh, they're not so happy, okay? They're, they're pretty brutal a lot of the time. And they had a social point, and they were coming out of an era that was very brutal. Anyway, in college, I was 20 or 21, I think, when I had to write this. And uh, it was a lengthy assignment. So what I did was I rewrote Snow White. By the way, if you want to join our conversation today, you can always call. The number is 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557 is the number. You can send me an email at SoCalLive. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. It is good to be with you. I rewrote Snow White. The title of my version of it is is Snow White, like with a question mark at the end of it, Okay. And it was filled with, I just read it uh, today because I was just curious and I found it. Thankfully, it's hard to find old files. I mean, that file is something that I did, you know, years ago. It was a long time ago. And I mean, there was no internet when I did this. There was no America Online. There was, you know, if you were a computer science major or something, you knew something about the internet. But I did not. I was still using a DOS computer. We were behind. Windows was out, but I, I was behind. Anyway. Uh, I, I titled all of my old stuff, the one about, you know, so the, you know, the one about baseball, the one about food, the one about M&Ms. I wrote all these papers and this was the one about Snow White. Thankfully, I, that's what it's, that's what the file name was called. I found that to be a very good way to keep track of any old files you have is however you would describe it 30 years from now. It's the one about Snow White, and that's what the title name, the uh, file name is. See, there you go. There, I've just solved your your long term file uh, name problem for whatever it is you might be doing if you have one of those things. Anyway, the one about Snow White, and it was filled with all of the political issues of the 1990s. Okay, the early 1990s or late 1980s. 
you know, the obvious thing if you're going to rewrite Snow White with some sort of political or social message would be to rename all of the uh, the dwarves, right? There's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and uh, I renamed all of them with Society's Ills. And they all die. Everybody dies in the story, like a regular fairy tale. Um, and uh, my professor was, was super liberal. I wouldn't have called him a, a leftist like you might have today, but he was very liberal for the day. So I had some of them die from, you know, something systemic in the culture or something. But most of them were dying because of their whatever sin that they had. And most of them died because of, uh, you know, the the consequence of uh, their own actions, basically. Even Snow White's in my stories, her her parents were uh, divorced. It was pretty brutal, and they died of some terrible things and lost everything to gambling or something. Uh, I scanned through some of it because I was just curious about this. So originally, in the original story, or if you go over to Disney or watch the old movie, it's bashful, grumpy, sleepy, sneezy, happy, doc, and dopey. Seven dwarves, Okay. My dwarves in the in the rewrite uh, were Dopey. I kept that one. Dopey was the one name I kept. That's because he was a drug dealer and an addict. It seemed like Dopey would fit. And then there was Lazy, Sleazy, Puffy, and uh, Drunky. Remember, I'm 20 years old, so, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was thinking about college-age things. Drunky, by the way, they, they do have that at Disney. He's not in Disneyland, but he is on California Adventure in the weekends. Never mind. I don't, why do they do that over there? Anyway, uh, Smarty and Dorky. Uh, Dorky was the Christian one. His real name was Herbert, but nobody understood him, so they called him Dorky. He was basically uh, Ned Flanders. You know who Ned Flanders is in The Simpsons? Oakley Doakley, that guy. Uh, that's pretty much who he was. Uh, Dopey died of an overdose. Lazy died of a heart attack. I'm, and I'm summarizing. There's a whole story that's involved in this. It's several pages long. Uh, Sleazy died with an STD, you know, and uh, they all had jobs. You know, he worked in the adult industry and, uh, you know, he whistled at his work is what he did. Uh, Drunky died of something alcohol related. Smarty was kind of this uh, sarcastic guy. Okay, that was his his problem was that he was just sarcastic and condescending to people. Smarty. He was a former psychiatrist who became a bartender and found it was um, actually he was helping people better from behind the bar, uh, listening to people's problems and then telling them what to do. He died because he was in my story because he was giving advice to a professional wrestler who was visiting his bar. And Smarty said to the wrestler who was named the Master Mutant. I don't know where I came up with that it was a long time ago, but this is what he, the, he says to the Master Mutant. Would it be OK if I came over to the ring sometime and watch you rehearse? And the master mutant says, are you suggesting that wrestling is fake? No, Smarty said, I'm suggesting that you must be a pretty good actor. And I laughed at that. Uh, I laughed out loud at my own joke 30 years later. And he died. The wrestler beat him up, killed him in the the gruesome Snow White version that is my rewrite in college. And by the way, that whole line right there, I actually stole that. I stole that from Groucho Marx, of all people. You know, Groucho Marx used to have that uh, program, You Bet Your Life. And then the whole that program, I think there's some new version of that somewhere out there today. It can't be as good as the old Groucho versions. Uh, most of you aren't old enough to remember that. Neither am I. But I got into old radio and old TV a long time ago. I know all those guys. And on this television program, two people would come out and there would be a game show that they would eventually play. But a big half of the program would just be a conversation with Groucho. And the whole idea is if they said the secret word, the duck would come down. And if they said a secret word, it was whatever. It could be anything like telephone or pen. And they would win $100 if they won that. It was an extra bit. So this wrestler comes out, real-life wrestler, and Groucho asks him this question. Well, would it be okay if I came over and watched you rehearse? 
And the guy got really mad at him. And he asked that question. Are you saying that wrestling is fake? He asked Groucho, and Groucho says, no, I'm just suggesting that you might be a pretty good actor, and I'd like to watch that. Hilarious. And I don't remember if it was live or not, but that guy was mad. Groucho, <laughs> it's just they don't make TV like that anymore. It's just not that good. Anyway, so that happens in in my story. Um, anyway, you get the idea. So I rewrote this story and had the social message, and it had the idea that, you know, we there are consequences to our actions, and there was a bunch of other social stuff there, I think, that uh, – uh, the, the Christian guy, he eventually works out a lot of his problems, gets saved, but he dies of a brain tumor or something because of bad water. I think that's where I was throwing my professor a, a bone or something, and, and the environment matters. Basically, everything in there was bringing whatever the social issues were of the day. Now, I'm 20, 21 years old. This was a you know upper division course I was taking in the University of California system. Now, I tell you all that uh, to tell you this. In an article in the Atlantic magazine today, kids are being asked, children are being asked to basically do the same assignment. The article is called, What to Teach Young Kids About Gender. And in this article, I was amazed that they were, that in this one school district, and it does happen, by the way, all over the place, kids are being asked to rewrite a fairy tale, Cinderella in this case. And how old would you say? And me describing just what I said, I mean, obviously, the, you know, younger kids wouldn't be have the same level of expectation as a college student, I think. But the the premise of the assignment is the same. And here's what the assignment is. How old would you say these kids are? They are here's the assignment. They are, quote, encouraged to focus on stereotypes around gender attraction and race and suggested questions include the following. Quote, how would the story be different if Cinderella had short hair and wore jeans and tennis shoes to the ball? How would she be treated? Why? Who is included in this book and who isn't included in this book? Are there characters in this book culturally similar to one another or is this a diverse community? Okay, this is what is being, uh, this is the assignment, okay, for kids. So what they're going to do is they're going to rewrite Cinderella and the instruction is, quote, to make it more inclusive, relevant, and less sexist. What age would you say that assignment is being given to? Just if you had to think about it and you think about what age kid, high school kid? No, no, it's not in high school. Maybe you could manage that in high school. Uh, Maybe you could probably do that. Junior high, seventh grade, eighth grade. I don't know. You know, probably you could start to think along those lines and uh, maybe come up with something doable. I think that's possible. Second grade, seven-year-olds are being asked to do this. Second grade, seven. I'm thinking of my boys when they were seven years old. No way they would have understood that assignment or even wanted to. It would have been so bizarre, that kind of assignment, to rewrite Cinderella so that it's more inclusive, relevant, and less sexist. You know, now now right now, you're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. You can call and join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557. The number is 888-528-2557. You can send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. One of the conversations that I have been seeing online when some of these things come up about what's being taught in the schools is many people will comment, and I think they mean this. Some of them are probably just people trying to deliberately change the conversation, but I think some of it is for real. People say, this doesn't happen. This is not happening. 
this doesn't happening in schools, Scott, this is not happening to second graders. You know, I read this out of The Atlantic. The Atlantic, by the way, is a it's a good news magazine, but it's it's on the left. It's liberal, kind of on that liberal leftist line there. And uh, so this is something that's not coming out of Fox News or something on the right. This is an article in The Atlantic that is describing this curriculum. And the author is trying to say that isn't second grade a little young for this? He's trying to say that isn't this not something that's appropriate? He's he's struggling with it because his audience te- typically are some people, his audience meaning the people who might cancel him, the people who might critique his work in a way that would affect him professionally. Those people may not like it that he's questioning this agenda. Okay. See, so he apologizes throughout and he sort of gives his little opinions here and there. And I don't agree with all of it, but it's a very good article asking about a lot of issues. The article is describing a curriculum that's for real. And it talks about similar versions that are in many public schools now, but specifically it's dealing with this curriculum. This school where this is going on is in Chicago, a public school system in the Chicago suburbs, Evanston, Skokie, school district 65. Uh, District 65. District 65 and other systems, the author says, err on the side of saying too much and mistaking dogma for established fact. That's where this author, uh, I think, gets himself in a little bit of trouble. His name is Connor uh, Friedersdorf. I think I say his name. Friedersdorf. Connor Friedersdorf. He struggles because he knows his readers might cancel him. And he's careful to add his support for various things, kind of some little flags out there that say, oh, I'm on your side. But he's also doing a pretty good job at pointing out that the curriculum is bad and that it doesn't make any sense and that it's happening everywhere. And that's something that all of us need to understand. This is not, oh, that's happening in Chicago or that's happening in New York or that's happening somewhere else. No, this and something similar is happening in your school district right here in Southern California. And parents, grandparents, you need to be paying attention. We have this election coming up, and there's all kinds of stuff happening nationally. There's all the stuff going on with the, the president and all the stuff going on with Donald Trump and all the stuff going on with Governor DeSantis and the immigration and all that. You know, those things are they're things. They matter. But don't be so distracted by, by that that you don't pay attention to what's happening in your own yard, in your own community. Often the things that we're frustrated the most have nothing to do with what's happening in Washington. The president might comment on this and that, and national figures might comment on different things. But the people who make decisions are right here. The people who make decisions about different things, about what's going to be taught in school, what's appropriate curriculum, what's appropriate for teachers, how they're to dress. Did you see the guy? This has been all over the news. It's a guy who's um, dressing in drag, but it's super... Uh, I don't know what to say. He's wearing an outfit that that has a couple of balloons in the front, and they're very large. Okay, you get, and he's wearing this, and he's teaching kids. And parents are going crazy that this guy's in the classroom. The school's defending him, saying that it's an expression. This guy would get fired in any job, in, in any any place in the world. Every place you go, there's a dress code. Okay, they have a dress code at this station. I can't come in here and do this show, even though it's radio. I can't do it in shorts and flip-flops and a T-shirt. I can't. Uh, I could go to church that way, but there's some people who would give me the eye, even in my church, if I dress that way. People, there's always a dress code, even if it's not written, okay? But there are certain things that would cross the line. This crosses the line. Everybody knows this crosses the line, okay? This is going on, 
And it's not going to be resolved by a national election. It's going to be resolved by you and me in our school boards, in our county board of supervisors, in those meetings at City Hall. Okay, that's that's where this gets done. Can I tell you that just as, as we do have an election going on, don't check out on the local stuff. It's so easy to vote at the top of the ballot and you kind of understand, you know, who's running for governor and there's governor, Gavin, governor, Gavin Newsom. He's running for governor. He is the governor. Most of us probably know that. Most of us probably have no idea who's running against him because we're in California. And people are like, I don't really like what the governor's doing. I don't like his policies, but I'll vote for him because I've never heard of any of the other guys. That's one of the problems we have in our state. Um. This matters. And don't think it's happening in some other place. No, it's happening where you are. I worked with a person who runs a PTA in a local small town, you know, Southern California, but kind of small area school district. And they're having the exact same battles. And she was trying to describe, you asked me, you know, how to deal with it. And I said, well, you have to make everything transparent. You make the budget transparent, what books are being purchased, what are the curriculums that are being used. You know, parents have a right to know. You can you can just put it all out there. This person was thinking that, you know, she wouldn't be allowed to do all this stuff or that she was, you know, had some fear about it. And I said, just put it out there. You know, let the parents see that. You don't need to explain it. And you go, oh, by the way, this is the new curriculum that your kids are being taught in the seventh grade or the or the or your seven-year-olds. I said, parents, parents on left and right, we pretty much agree on this. 70% in a recent uh, New York Times poll said they don't think this ought to be taught to kids that young. I don't think any kind of sexuality ought to be taught to my seven-year-old. I don't want to do that. I gave the talk to uh, my older son when he was in the fifth grade or the sixth grade, and I don't even think it did any, any good. He just giggled the whole time while I was trying to explain it. Maybe that was the way I was explaining it. I don't know. Uh, and he told me recently he just didn't listen to me at all, except he must have listened to me because he was he was embarrassed. It was there. But I would never have given him that conversation when he was seven, eight, nine years old, probably not even 10 years old. Maybe I should attend because I don't know what's getting out there uh, these days. But anyway, 888-528-2557. If you want to join the conversation here on Southern California Live, I'm Scott Furrow. The number is 888-528-2557. Are you aware of what is being taught? This article in the Atlantic magazine where the kids are asked to rewrite Cinderella, the, the kids, and when I say kids, I'm talking about second graders, seven years old, seven, seven years old. You know, I can understand, you know, do they have a lot of writing assignments anyway? And is this a verb? How does this even work in the second grade? Um, here's what this author is, is talking about here. Um, In District 65, which is the school district he was using as an example, he says that what's happening is that this is dogma that's being mistaken for established fact. And he says that it's, number one, it's inconsistent because what happens is non-traditional gender roles are affirmed as liberatory responses to oppressive social norms. But traditional gender roles, like a young woman wearing a dress and pretty shoes to a ball, are problematized and deconstructed, and they're not affirmed as equally valid identities. See, the, the, the whole thing in this philosophy is it doesn't really make sense at the end of the day, because it's not just affirming somebody's idea of what reality ought to be and saying that all should be accepted. It's saying that other points of view are actually not valid, that the, the traditional points of view, and by traditional, the point of view of every society in human history, uh, a suddenly not valid. 
The article, the writer continues this way. He says, other parts of the curriculum describe reality in inaccurate and ideological charged ways. This is, this is what's going to second grade, okay? He says, second grade begins with a video featuring a grandfather who is confused when his grandchild says her non-binary friend is coming over. The family explains what is meant to grandpa, the accompanying script. This is the script for second graders, okay, in the school curriculum. Seven-year-old, okay, so your seven-year-olds are going to sit there and hear this apparently from the teacher. This is for real, okay? This is also not coming from some right-wing publication, okay? This is coming from a a liberal publication, okay? A publication that generally supports sort of this agenda, but... Many of the writers like this one are struggling with some of it. This is what the teachers are instructed to say. Quote, a lot of people believe babies are given the gender that they are when they are born, but we now know that gender is a spectrum. When couples find out they are pregnant, they have something called a gender reveal party. But really, it should be called a sex assigned at birth party. That that really takes the wind out of the sails of the gender reveal party right there. Can you, are are people doing that? Here's what bothers me. Have you seen that? Have you been invited to one of these parties? You know what the gender reveal party is. It's that you, you've been to the doctor and they, the, they've figured out that the baby is a boy or a girl. And they say, do you want to know? And you say, write it down in an envelope and keep it private. Then you give that envelope to a baker or somebody who makes a cake. And if the cake is blue, that's a boy. If it's pink, it's a girl. And by the way, you don't have to explain that to the baker. You don't have to explain if it's a girl, make it pink. Okay, they know this. Uh, it's And this is done all over the place. Now, it's gotten out of hand. You know, somebody out here, I think in San Bernardino, was shooting off, you know, pink or blue fireworks or something and started that big fire. You know, don't go to that extreme with it. Uh, people have been injured because people are trying to one-up each other and they're putting it on social media and everything. But this is a thing. And I've always thought, you know, if if people really believed that you're just assigned randomly at birth a gender, then we wouldn't be having these gender reveal parties. They wouldn't make any sense. And it certainly doesn't make any sense to call it a sex assigned at birth party. And uh, this writer goes on to point out that it's completely absurd to say that. Not scientific. It is complete nonsense uh, to tell kids that babies who are born with genitalia one way or the other are not male or female. We'll talk about that a little bit. I got to take a break and I'm going to give you some of the, a reason why this is happening. There are many reasons, but there's a big one. There's a really big one and you have to know. People have to know. This is happening across the country. We're being told in many ways it's not happening, but it is happening. And it's dangerous for the kids. It's going to destroy an entire generation. And kids who really are dealing with some issues with this. Uh, are not getting the help they need be, for a whole bunch of reasons. I mean, there's there's so many problems with this. This is Southern California Live. When we get back, we'll talk about that. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join our conversation. 888-528-2557. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Tuesday edition of SoCal Live continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Good to be with you on this beautiful day. I had one of those days where I uh, things kind of went wrong, like on the way in this morning. You know, traffic was worse than usual, and even on my shortcut freeway, that didn't work. 
and uh, went to a different coffee shop, and that was a uh, experience. Lots of different things like that. But you know what? It it got me outside a little more today. I ate lunch outside. Beautiful day outside. Thanks for listening to Southern California Live. You can join our conversation, 888-528-2557. Before the break, we were talking about the an article that's in The Atlantic where the writer is talking about gender discussions in school curriculums for kids as young as second grade and how second graders are being told to uh, rewrite Cinderella and to rewrite it in a way that it would be different, where the kids who are focused, second graders, seven-year-olds are focused to, um, are, are told to focus on stereotypes around gender attraction and race and to rewrite Cinderella if she had short hair and wore jeans and tennis shoes to the ball. Now, here, the weird thing is, you know, on these these kinds of subjects, why does that mean that somehow she's transgender? Why does that mean that? I don't think it means that. I mean, do you have a little girl who is uh, maybe got she likes her hair short? She would rather wear jeans than a little dress. She likes tennis shoes. Do you have I? It's the weirdest thing. Or you have a son who he just loves show tunes, man. He just you know what? He's the one guy. My kids they don't like Frozen. I have to say I was proud of my son who, I don't know how old he was, he was pretty young, he was sitting on my lap and we watched Frozen together and we, he just sat on my lap the whole time. He might have been seven or eight. And I said, what do you think about this? And he said something like, you know what, I don't think that was a very good movie. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. But you know what, if he would have said it's awesome and he started to go around the house singing, you know, what's the name of that song? Turn it off, turn it off. What's the name of that that song in there? Let it go. Let it go. Turn it off. Turn it off. That's what I sing whenever that's on. And it would have been fine. And I would not have worried about anything because he's seven or eight. All right. I just, it's just, who cares? Why? And that's the, the thing that's really ironic about this is you're saying that there are not legitimate sort of gender roles or stereotypes on the one hand. But on the other hand, when you say, what if she had short hair and wore jeans, aren't you saying that that is against what a person who is a girl would want to do? See, you're you're acknowledging the existence of the actual traditional sense of gender. You have to do that in order to say that it doesn't exist, which makes no sense at all. But that's what's happening. And it is happening to your kids. I'm telling you, don't think this is happening somewhere else. And it's not good for kids. Now, your kid gets older and kids are dealing with stuff and you can talk about it and there's a sense of it. Okay, you you deal with that, but you also need to be truthful about that. And when you get into the surgery movement that is going on and the drugs and the medical things that go along with transitioning, do you realize that that is a permanent decision? I don't know that we do realize that. It's not being explained that well and there's a reason it's not being explained that well that reason is money can i just tell you that behind the scenes and something came out today that just kind of says this you should know this anyway there's huge money why is it that the country in i think 15 years has gone from one place i think in the country that did gender transition uh surgeries for kids and now there's like 150 it's it's not because the science has changed. It's because there's money. The science may have changed that makes it something that's a little bit more survivable 
It might be something that the technology has changed so that the scars would be a little bit less. Maybe there's some more trust in some of the drugs that are given out for scientific reasons. But the change has to do with cash. You know what the scriptures say? Money's not the problem. It's the love of money. That's the problem. It's the root of all evil. Different transgender sites that are pro this kind of thing talk about, hey, you know what? They even don't recommend this kind of medical procedure for people who are under 18. Let them make that decision when they're old enough to understand. But even even then, do you really understand when you're 18, 19, 20, what it means to be a medical patient your entire life, which is what happens? Do you really understand that? I feel like if we have to lie to people, there's something that is completely profoundly wrong. That if we have to use euphemisms for things, if we feel like we need to change what's happening in the schools, there must be something profoundly dishonest about this. 888-528-2557 is the number. This is Southern California Live. The author of uh, this article in The Atlantic, a guy named Connor Friedersdorf, who is in favor of a lot of things related on this subject, but he's pointing out the absurdity of a bunch of it, especially the absurdity of what's being taught in the schools. You know, the whole idea of if if a girl has short hair and wears blue jeans and loves sports, maybe she's confused about her gender, and kids are being told to sort of write it that way. When I was in uh, the third grade, so I was eight, eight years old, on my soccer team, it was called the Green Machine. My dad was the coach. There was no... There And the Green Machine was named after my uh, my family car. We had, I don't know what it was. It was a 1971 or something, Grand Torino station wagon. Today, you would refer to it as a tank. And that that thing was amazing. This massive, massive station wagon. And we drove all over the place with no seatbelts on. In fact, you could lay the seats back in the station wagon. And on the back of the seats, it wasn't cloth. It was some kind of fiberglass or material, and you could lay all the seats back instead of the front seats, and it would just be like a flatbed back there. It was incredible, and we would sit back there as kids, and whenever you'd come to a red light, you would slide all the way to the front. You'd go to a green light, and you'd slide all the way to the back, and we would slide around and toss it around. It was crazy. Different era, okay? So that's that was that car was called the Green Machine, and that became the name of our soccer team. My dad was the coach. And uh, it took me a long time. My dad would make me run a lap a little more often than uh, I thought was necessary, but uh, I guess I can forgive him now. We had one girl on the team. Her name was Kelly. And there was no girls' uh, soccer league. So if you wanted to play and you were a girl, you would play on the boys' team. She was the best player on the team. No one was close. She was great. I was the goalie, and I led the team in assists because I could throw the ball to her and then she would dribble down and score. And she always wore T-shirts and uh, jeans and was in sports. And, you know, she was always better than most of the guys. You know, when you get older, though, the guys get older. And then, then there were girls' teams after that. She played in the girls' team. And she dominated, but there were other girls who were good. And uh, we went to high school together. The thing is, is that she was always kind of T-shirts and jeans, but she was also on the homecoming court. I don't remember if she was the queen or not. She was one of those people. Um, and she was very feminine and had that side, but she loved the sports. And I can't even imagine what if somebody had sat her down when she's seven, eight years old and said, you know, you like soccer and you like, uh, um, you know, you like to wear T-shirts and jeans and uh, you're playing on the boys team and you're better than all of them. Maybe you're a boy. 
There's just, it's just the strangest world that we live in right now. This author is pointing out how absurd that is, that that is what we are teaching as legitimate. And then what he's saying is that uh, this, he says, the notion that sex is something that doctors assign rather than record at birth reoccurs in several places in the lessons. And you've heard that. I've heard that. This is not just some school curriculum. This is something that I'm hearing that is being said by the CDC. All right. This is being said by newscasters. This is being written in articles in newspapers across the country that you were assigned some gender at birth. This guy who is writing for a liberal magazine even says this is misleading is the term he uses. False is the word he should use. He goes, a baby born with a penis, testicles, and a Y chromosome and without a vagina is male, even if that baby is born in a forest far from any doctor or nurse or at a hospital to a doctor who erroneously records the sex as female. Recognizing that some children's gender identity differs from their biological sex does not require any insinuation that their sex was assigned thoughtlessly or that it is socially constructed. This is happening everywhere, and you have to stand against that. Why is it happening? There's a couple of reasons. One is that the big reason is spiritual, okay? This is, this is something, when things are, I think everything can be, can be spiritual and the evil one is working and the Lord, there's a spiritual battle that I think people try to claim they understand. I don't think we really get it other than we're told it's happening. That's why you put on the armor of God. I think it's dangerous to get into it too much, so I want to be careful. But I think that because I think some of the deception is and some of the distraction is as we go down this road of spiritual warfare and those kinds of conversations as believers, and suddenly we're really interested in what the devil might be doing, and we stop sharing the gospel with our friends. See what I mean? This is a moment, though, where it is, it is an attack on the gospel because you're taking away male and female. You're taking away Genesis 1 through 3, where in there you have that we are created by God, we are created in the image of God, male and female, he created us. It's important throughout all of Scripture, really throughout all of writing. I guess Scripture for sure, there's male and female, there's husband and wife, and it's very, very clear there's man and woman. It's also very clear in every other writing, okay? So it's not like some biblical notion that took over the world all of a sudden. Go read classical writing or anybody else. There's always men and women. It's just absurd where we are today. But don't think for a minute that this is not an attack on people's faith. And when we come back, I'm going to play a a soundbite. This is from Vanderbilt University, where pediatrician students are being told that while they have the right to conscientiously object to removing the breasts from uh, a minor, which is what is being done and encouraged, that it will harm your career if you do so. Where she flat out says, this will harm your career. You have the right to do it. You have the right to object because of your faith, um, but it's going to jeopardize your career. That's the world we live in and what to do about it when we get back. The number is 888-528-2557. If you want to join our conversation, 888-528-2557. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. I'll be back as the Tuesday edition continues. Too nervous to go live on the radio with Scott Furrow? Then share your thoughts on the SoCal Live voicemail at 213-537-3812. That's 213-537-3812. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host, 888-528-2557. If you want to call in and join the conversation, 888-528-2557. You can send me an email at any time at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. 
my 13-year-old James was telling me the other day how he rewatched the movie uh, Toy Story, and there was apparently some kind of uh, suggestive joke in there. Probably not like a dirty joke, but something that was suggestive of something sexual, I think, in that movie between, uh, you know, the, the cowboy named Woody and Little Bo Peep or something like that. And he said, that movie actually has some things in it that are really sus, Dad. Sus is the word that the kids use because of a video game. It started with a video game, I think. It started with this video game. What's the name of that game? Anybody remember the name? Among Us is the video game, okay? And you, Among Us is something where there's a bunch of guys in a spaceship and everybody's playing online, but one of them is an imposter and you have to find the imposter. And then and you have these things. You can hit a button in the game and everyone has to go to a meeting and then you try to guess who the imposter is. And if you guess right, you throw that guy out. If you guess wrong, then uh, somebody else gets thrown out. And if you are the imposter and you survive the whole time, you get to win. It's a fun game. Well, the language and the texting of that game you know, instead of saying somebody is suspect, it just got abbreviated as sus, and then that took that took off. So if you hear some kids say sus, uh, James uses that as a as a term for if he notices that there's something uh, that he's watching that might be a little suggestive of something sexual. He goes, that's kind of sus, Dad. And he says, I didn't realize that movie had anything in it that's sus. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's nothing. But the, yeah, there's some jokes in there for grownups uh, that are in there. Um I appreciate that, you know, for one thing, it tells me as a dad that he is catching on to things that are real life, okay, and I should be very aware of that. Um, There's a lot of things I like, it, but it also reminds me that there was a time when he just didn't get it, and I'm glad that he didn't get it. I hope his younger brother, who's 10, doesn't get it, although I think he does. He's not going to tell me. That's different, but uh, he's going to, you know, I'm going to have to figure that out, but... Um, that matters. We have a text line in our text line. Uh, Richard wrote this about our subject. We've been talking about what's being taught to kids as young as second grade. So the Atlantic article that we are referencing in the Atlantic, they, uh, this article is talking about kids who are being taught various things about the gender and, uh, that, you know, you're, uh, gender is assigned at birth, and we've talked about some of that earlier in this hour. You can always get this hour, by the way, by going to our podcast. Just go to your radio station website and look for Southern California Live. You can find the podcast there. He says, if my daughters were in that dude's class, I would have to go to have a man-to-man conversation that would because they're taking away my kid's innocence. And you know what? Here's the thing I want everybody to, to mention um, or to understand. They are taking away the kid's innocence. That's, I don't want any sexual conversation of that nature. I don't want them to get the jokes that are in even Bugs Bunny cartoons. I mean, there's funny stuff in Bugs Bunny. And I mean, those cartoons, I think, were made for adults originally. But there's, there's stuff that's for adults, even in kid movies. And usually it's not terrible, but it's, it's there. And it's nice to know that for a while they didn't get those jokes. You know, be watching some movie as a family and there'd be something said and my wife and I give each other the eye because it was intended for adults and it was intended to go over the head of kids on purpose. It was, it was good, uh, I suppose. Uh, not, not dirty jokes, but just, you know, something in there. I don't want my seven-year-old to understand that. I don't want him to get those jokes. I do not want him to understand that kind of tension other than other than seven-year-old boy and girl stuff, okay? Uh, 888-528-2557. What I was saying is that a lot of what's going on in this gender argument is not about people. It's about money. And the surgeries that are being pushed on kids now, the surgeries that are to change gender, that are removing body parts or in some cases, adding body parts, 
if you, uh, you know, hopefully your, your, your kids are with you and they don't understand what I'm talking about, but you probably figured that out. This is happening to kids. And the, the thing is, is that it's about money because this is very expensive. Surgeries are expensive. You've been to the doctor? It's expensive to go to the doctor. Once in a while, things come up about uh, finances and, and hospitals are broke. They're, they're struggling. Well, and people suspect this and it bugs, you know, bugs some people like you're saying that my doctor might be after money. Well, hopefully not. But, you know, everybody, money is the root of all evil. It just is. And so this is Dr. Shane Taylor and who is talking about how these surgeries make a lot of money. Here is uh, the clip. Hold on a second. There we go. Here's the clip. Starting in January 1st of 2017, according to the Affordable Care Act, insurance cover carriers are mandated to cover medical expenses for trans folks. Um, some of our BUMC financial folks in, 20, in August of 20, I'm sorry, October of 2016, starting a couple of years ago, put down some costs of how much money we think each patient would bring in. And this is only including top surgery. This isn't including any bottom surgery. And um, it's a lot of money. These surgeries make a lot of money. Okay, so this is a conference that uh, is uh, about, you know, hospitals have to make money. She's pointing out that the Affordable Care Act pays for some of these surgeries, okay? That's there. That was Obamacare. That's the real title of Obamacare, Affordable Care Act. And, you know, hospitals, a business, they have to have conversation about money. It's uncomfortable, okay? Because you're working with people. Church conversations about money sometimes are uncomfortable, right? You go to a business meeting, you're talking about money. It can be uncomfortable, but you got to talk about it. So I don't, I don't have any problem with that. But I do have a problem with this idea that you're going to keep hearing about, about how much money this makes. And listen to how giddy she is about this. Starting in January 1st of 2017, <clears throat> sorry, I started it all over. Insurance again, but... cover carriers are mandated to cover medical expenses for trans folks. Um, some of our BUMC financial folks in, 20, in August of 20, I'm sorry, October of 2016, starting a couple of years ago, put down some costs of how much money we think each patient would bring in. And this is only including top surgery, this isn't including any bottom surgery. And um, it's a lot of money. These surgeries make a lot of money. Uh, so female to male chest reconstruction can bring in $40,000. Uh, a patient just on routine hormone treatment who I'm only seeing a few times a year can bring in several thousand dollars because that requires a lot of visits and labs. It actually makes money for the hospital. Now these I got from the internet. So she goes on to talk about how much money it's talking about. And it's not just the surgeries. It's the hormone treatments that are being pushed, all the stuff that you have to do for life. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, she goes on to explain, and how some of these surgeries should cost about $100,000. It's huge money. It doesn't make sense to be doing this, especially to kids, unless you start to think about the money. I pointed out, and I don't want to miss this point, that there is a spiritual component to all of this. And I want you to be, I don't want, I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm saying this because you should be aware and it matters to be engaged in this because it is going to affect your ability, even as a Christian in this society, to have an opinion, even in fact, if you are a doctor or a scientist, okay? This matters greatly. This is Dr. Ellen Clayton from Vanderbilt University. She's an attorney. She works in the pediatrics department and she is talking now to um, potential uh, new new students 
And she's telling them that if you have religious beliefs and you object to doing these surgeries, you're going to face consequences. If you are going to assert conscientious objection, you have to realize that that is problematic. You are doing something to another person and you are not paying for the, the cost for your belief. I think that is a real, I mean, I think that's a real issue. So, um, so I think, you know, so you're, so yes, Vanderbilt, if someone has a conscientious objection to pers uh, for participating in this sort of surgery, it, it probably has to accommodate you to the extent that you can find another person who can do your job, who doesn't have an objection, other things of that nature. But I just want you to take home that saying that you're not going to do something because of your conscientious, because of your religious beliefs is not without consequences. And, and it should not be without consequences. And I just want to put that out there. So that's a threat, all right, to anybody with a religious objection to doing surgeries or other medical practices, that there will be consequences. I, that's probably some truth to that. There's consequences. Sometimes you have to be a conscientious objector to something, and there might be consequences, right? You, you can't – I used to – I knew a guy who was upset because he got thrown out of the Marines for conscientiously objecting. And I'm like, well, if you're a conscientious objector, why did you join the Marines of all branches of the service? You know, they're the first to go in. What are you talking about? you, you got to think about that. But the way she's talking about this with doctors, doctors who feel like this is wrong, like morally wrong to do this to kids, there's punishment. That's the world, friends, that we are, we are in. And don't think it's happening somewhere else. If I can just make a point of just about anything else, this is happening everywhere, including your neighborhood. What not to do about it is to get violent or threaten these people. It doesn't, that does not help. It's also wrong to do that. But you need to be in prayer. You need to talk to your kids. Find out what they're being taught. It's okay to do that. It's okay to go talk to the teacher and find out what the teacher is teaching. It is okay to do that in a kind way, but be involved. Don't let the state raise your kid on any subject. Make sure your kid is being educated in math and science and things that are real and not being put through some sort of uh, agenda with these things. I got to take a break, guys, here in just a minute. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about a, a couple of things next. Our survey that asked a lot of questions about what Christians believe. And uh, maybe you'll be surprised. Maybe you won't in those things. What is it that you believe? How certain are you? How, how deep is your understanding of your faith? We'll talk about that here in just a few moments. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Tuesday edition continues in just a moment. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.